I told DJ he may not have uh, meant to come after I told him what we were, what we were talking about today. Uh, as you know, hopefully you know, and if not, I'll tell you now, um, I preach uh, in, a, in a way that's called expository preaching, which basically all it means is I, um, I read God's Word to you, and then I, I kind of just draw out what's there, right? So I don't read into it, I don't jump around, I don't read one verse in one chapter and then skip over 10 books and read another verse from another chapter. I just kind of go straight through, and that's the way I've been trained to preach. I think it's good for us to learn that way. But what expository preaching does to the preacher, uh, because we generally preach through books, is it runs us into the stuff that's hard. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can, if you play the hopscotch method of preaching, you can, you can skip some stuff that you don't want to deal with. Uh, and today we're going to talk about one of those hopscotch issues um, because it's every person here. Right? There's not a person in this room that, that this passage doesn't personally affect. It's Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bible, uh, you can flip there. We're going to talk about divorce today. Now we're going to talk about divorce because Jesus talked about divorce. And I'll just give you my backstory for, for divorce in my own personal life. Um, my parents both uh, were previously married before they got together. Um, and so I'm a product of uh, kind of broken marriages. I have half-siblings. Uh, my, my, my father has two kids from his previous marriage. My mother has a, a son, which was one of my brothers that I was raised with. Um, and so I know uh, divorce, and I know the back side of that. I know the good side of what can be on the other side of divorce, that God can bring things back together and make beautiful things out of messes. Um, and so I, I don't want anyone to look up here and, and say, well, that preacher is just, just talking about me, or he's talking about my kid, or he's talking about my mom, or he's talking about my brother who's going through this right now. Right? I, I'm not talking about you as much as I'm talking to you about what God says about an important thing, okay? Uh, but I do want you to know at the beginning, uh, God's grace is big, and it covers all sorts of things. Um, so let's read, and then we'll talk about what's actually in here, okay? So Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and Jesus, and it says, And he left there where he was at, and went to the region of Judea, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him. Again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to, and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery adultery. Guys, this is a tough passage. It's a tough passage. Let's start with what it's talking about, what, this, what, what, what Jesus is dealing with on the front end. Right? He's going and he's teaching, and we don't know what Jesus was talking about when he was teaching. He could have been teaching literally 
anything about the kingdom of God. He could have been telling parables. Mark didn't record that. Instead, he records when the Pharisees show up and their job is to test him. You remember who the Pharisees are, right? They're the people who consistently are trying to catch Jesus. Like their whole business with Jesus to catch him doing something wrong or teaching something wrong and then getting on it. Right? That's all they're about is to catch him and to get him. And so they ask him this question, and the question seems fairly straightforward, right? They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's the question. It's not a super complicated question. Is it lawful? Is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? But there's some backstory to this question, right? And this backstory isn't necessarily recorded in Mark, but in another one of the Gospels, it's recorded uh, slightly more literally. And the question was presented to Jesus. I think it's in Matthew it's written this way. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? That was, that was the kind of the understood purpose for the question. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Because what was going on in the first century, uh, right there when Jesus was walking around, was there was two factions uh, divided about this specific issue. That's why it was a hot-button issue that they wanted to ask Jesus about. And one faction followed a rabbi, and the rabbi said, look, it is lawful, and they go back to Deuteronomy uh, 24, I think is where this passage is at. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, it's right around in the 20s. But um, there, there's a passage there where Moses uh, writes this commandment, and he says, you know, if, if, there's, if the husband finds any impurity in his wife, he can divorce her. He can write her a certificate of divorce, and divorce her. And so uh, one of the Pharisees emphasized the word any, right? So, or one of the scribes or the early teachers of the Jewish law. And so it says, is it, it's lawful for a husband to divorce his wife for any impurity found within her. And another one says, it emphasizes the word impurity and says, like, well, you have to be real careful about what is an actual impurity. And you're like, man, what does this mean? Well, one guy said, if a, if a wife burns the toast, the husband can divorce her. Literally, if she burns the food, if she, she brings in the soup and it's scalded to the bowl, some of y'all are like, whew, man, I would be in trouble. Right, right, man, I, I don't, I don't want to work the fire uh, if that's the case. But one of them said, for any reason whatsoever the husband can come up with, anything at all that he sees in her that he finds to be unpleasing to his sight, even to the point that he sees another woman who he likes more than her, and so she doesn't look as appealing to his side anymore, any reason a man wants. This would be kind of like our modern day kind of divorce concept, right? We have no fault divorce, there's no, no, no one to blame, um, and so you can divorce literally for, for any, any reason you want, because you don't have to give a reason to say why the divorce is happening. And that was one school of thought, and the other school of thought was much, much more strict, and it was impurity, and that, that's kind of what I think if you read Deuteronomy, it seems pretty clear the word impurity is what's being emphasized there, and the idea is like if, if your wife has a, a deep impurity in her, so that would be like unfaithfulness or, uh, you know, idolatry or some deep impurity in her, then a divorce would be an acceptable thing in Moses's eyes, and so they go to Jesus with this hot-button issue, and they say, where do you stand on this issue. Imagine any political issue that's going on today that people are batting back and forth. And, you know, abortion's a big hot-button issue right now. We've got uh, states doing stuff to outlaw it. We've got states doing stuff to push the opposite direction of outlawing it, right, to increase its availability and increase um, the, the age of which the, the child can be aborted, right? So we have two extremes in our country right now about that issue, right? And so that's sort of the hot-button issue here, and in Jesus' day, it was marriage. And they said, where do you stand? Whose side 
are you on? Are you on side X or on side Y? And Jesus is never on someone's side. This is important for us to note, by the way, when we think that Jesus is on our side. Jesus isn't on your side. He's not on your side of anything. You can be on his side, but you don't, like, 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 if I were to play basketball with LeBron James on the Lakers, okay, I wouldn't go around and be like, LeBron's on my side. No, no, I'm, I'm on his side, right? Because LeBron is doing all of the work. He's doing all of the lifting. If the ball accidentally comes to my hands, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw it towards LeBron James. That's all I'm going to do, right? And the Houston Rockets would love to have him, okay? So if we can arrange a deal for that, we'll make that happen, okay? But, right, uh, it, it, God is not on your side. We can be on God's side, but we don't, God is often not on our side. So Jesus isn't on side X or side Y on this issue. Instead, he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, what does the law say? And they say, well, the law says this. And he says, okay, well, Moses wrote that because you guys were messed up. You guys were in the throes of sin, and y'all were experiencing the hardship of life, and so he wrote that, but he's like, but what God really intended is written before that. And he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Right In Genesis chapter 2, we have the creation of Adam and Eve, and we have them putting this garden together, and we have God orchestrating the first marriage, and God talks about the union that takes place there, and how it's designed to be one flesh for, for all time. Right, that they come together, you leave your father, you leave your mother, you come together, you make something new. And that bond is supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to be permanent. It's not something that's supposed to be uh, entered into lightly. It's not something that's supposed to be entered into trivially. It's a serious, serious matter. This week I was sitting in my, um, I was sitting in my office. Well, really I was sitting at my house. And I received a phone call that someone was sitting in my office. And uh, the phone call said, hey, it was from my wife, or maybe it was a text. And she said, hey, someone's wanting to get married today. You need to get up here. She was decorating for vacation Bible school. I don't get that very often, someone wanting to get married today. Right, like right now we want to get married. So I, 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 I come up to the church and I meet this uh, nice guy and this nice lady. And they are so excited they're like you know in their 40s so they're not young people right like impulsive young people but they were impulsive middle-aged people for sure um and they're sitting in my office and they are so like excited and joyful and ready to go and uh they've been dating for a little while man they want to get married today and i say i'm probably not the guy for this this is how i opened the conversation i said i'm probably not the guy for this but let's talk and see what's going on and so I say, do you have a marriage license? And they say, no, we want to get married today. And I say, well, the state of Texas requires you to have 72 hours to kind of figure out whether or not you really want to get married. So you have to go to the county clerk and get a marriage license. And then in three days, minimum, you can get married somewhere legally. But that probably is not going to be here even in three days. And they said, oh, my goodness, three days. Uh, no, we want to get married today. And I was like, why do you want to get married today? And the guy's like, well, I go back to work. And I was thinking, well, maybe this guy's like a government contractor and he works over in Afghanistan or something. I said, well, where do you work? He's like, well, I work in Hearn. And I'm like, that's not working. <laughs> it's not, that's not doing it for me. I was, like, I was like, well, where do you live? He's like, well, I live in Hearn. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get the urgency right now. Why are you so urgent to get married 
today, and I still don't understand why they want to get married so urgently today. So, well, can you do a ceremony that's not legally binding, just for us? And you can give us a little piece of paper saying, like, we're married in the eyes of God. And I said, I probably could do that, but I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm not, and, and, and I told him, I said, I, you guys seem so excited. And y'all seem to really love each other, and you seem to really like each other, and you seem to have a good relationship with one another. I said, now I'm not saying that your relationship can't succeed. I'm not saying that your marriage isn't a, a wonderful idea. I'm saying, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're about, and I can't put myself there. I said, now, if you want to wait three days, I'm sure a justice of the peace will marry you in three days. And I said, and there may be a preacher somewhere who will be so compelled by y'all's love for each other, which is apparent, that they'll marry you uh, as soon as legally possible. But I'm not that guy. And the idea behind that story, and it was really, it's still mind-blowing to me that you think these people were just like, I want to get married today. It just, because I got married 18 years ago, and some days I'm, I'm still reconsidering it, right? <laughs> Kidding, I love my wife, and she's not in here for me to take shots at her. But, uh, like, like, I was like, I don't, I don't understand this. But everything they were doing was trying to enter marriage quickly, suddenly. And it found out, by the way, at the end of this story, the way it ended was like, well, I can't go to the county court to get my marriage license. And I was like, well, why not? And he's like, well, I got a warrant out for my arrest right now. <laughs> he's like, but I just owe a little bit of money. Chad, don't, don't be thinking like a cop right now, okay? Um, <laughs> I don't know what, he owes some money or something and he's paying on it and in about four months he thinks he'll have that paid off and the warrant will disappear. I don't, I don't understand the law, okay? And I was not giving legal advice in this moment. But, but I was like, that's crazy. But everything about their relationship seems so impulsive to me and not seriously thought out. And I could not put my stamp on that marriage. I, I joke with my wife sometimes, you know, like I, I know who I've married. And I keep track of the people that I've married because I have a batting average in my mind of how I'm doing as a preacher, right? Like how many of my marriages are succeeding and how many are failing? How many uh, have, have, have made it some, through some test time and how many haven't, right? And there's, there's some on both sides of that ledger, but I keep track of that because it's important to me because I put myself out there. I stood like as a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ before these people and said, I pronounce you husband and wife, and I hate to see that fall apart. And so when I marry people, I make them go through premarital counseling, and we do serious work on the front end because it's important to do that. Guys, we could save a lot of trouble on the back end. This issue of divorce, a lot of it could be saved if we did more work on the front end. Like a lot of marriages are entered into impulsively, flippantly, shotgun weddings, bad decisions, whatever, right? And then we find out like this never should have happened. And there's regret almost instantly. I've met people who've been married for less than a year and they want to get divorced because they have instant regret about the person they've married. Now I know other people who've gotten married and then people have changed. Uh, I read somewhere that some guy married some woman and uh, they, they, they were together for about as long as Stanley and Joyce and uh, as he was talking about it, he's like, he's like, I've been married to five women over the last 60 years. It's the same lady, but there's been five different iterations of her. <laughs> right? People, people do change. And sometimes those changes are, are, are violently different from the person that you married. And that can be a difficult 
situation. Okay, so I understand it's not all pre-stuff, but if you can do a lot of work on the front end, you can save a lot of work on the back end. And so if, you're a, if you have the ability to give counsel to young people, right, I, I, would, I would strongly encourage you, counsel them to be selective about who they date. And then as they're dating, to date purposefully with a mindset about what they want in their forever person. Right? Not what they want in their now person. Because who you want to date when you're a freshman in college is not necessarily, Doss, the person you're going to want to date <laughs> when you're 55 years old and you're married to them. Right? And so to think purposefully about that. You're still awake with me, right? That's good. To think purposefully about those things. That's true of any of us, though. Be purposeful about who you choose to date because it affects how your, the rest of your life is going to be. You know, I have a son now who's dating. He's 16. It's a disaster um, for me. It's great for him. Um, and I'm trying to figure this out as I go. But I do know there's a lot of conversations on the front end that we try to have. Is it, you know, do you see any potential in this person? Do you see any, any red flags that really make you feel uncomfortable about making this person the future Mrs. Seth Higginbotham? Lucky lady. Um, do you see any red flags? Is there anything there? Because we want to do work on the front end. We want to do it on the front end. So, so marriage is a serious thing. It's something not to be entered into lightly. It's something to be, to be uh, consciously aware of and to do all the work you can on the front end. Right? Don't just meet the person, marry the person, hope it works out. It does. I've met people who've done that, man. We met on a Thursday, we married on a Tuesday, and we've lived happily ever after for 40 years. But I've read, met a lot more people, met on a Thursday, married on a Tuesday, divorced on a Friday, right? Like I've met those people too, right? It's tough. There's nothing tougher that I've ever done than marriage. There's not one thing. Because there's no one in the world that can hurt you as deeply as your spouse. You give everything you can to them. You give yourself, if you're doing it right, you give total intimacy to them, total vulnerability to them, and you totally put yourself in their hands. They're the only person in the world, save your mama when you were a small child, who has the ability to totally destroy you. It's a dangerous place to put yourself. Don't enter into it lightly, but it's a beautiful thing as well. Right? God instituted it because it was good. It was for our sake. It was a good thing. A lot of divorce could be saved if we would do some front-end work on the front side of this kind of battle called life. The last thing, though, is, is, is what I think is really hard teaching for Jesus. After he's done talking to the crowds, his disciples gather him in and they say, tell us more about this. Talk to us more about this thing that you were saying to the Pharisees. And he says, look, whoever divorces his wife uh, and then, uh, right, right, what he said, I want to do it, and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. And if she marries another man, she commits adultery against him. This passage right here is a, is a, is a hard passage. I have a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and he came to me one day, and he was distraught because he read this passage of Scripture. And he did everything right. He, he got married when he was like 25, 26 years old, and he stayed a virgin all through college, all through dating, and he got married to this girl, and he was so excited. 
And she had been previously married, but, but like her husband had ran around on her and cheated on her, and it was a mess. Um, and so, so they were happy, and, and they're some of my best friends. But for some reason, this passage of Scripture didn't hit him until they'd been married for probably two or three years. And he read this passage of Scripture, and he looked at me. It's a man who waited 25 years, and that's a lot of like peak years for, for a man in there. Uh, to, to, to be with a woman, and he finally gets this wife, and he's so excited. And he's like, does that mean right now, every time I have relations with my wife? Right? And, he, and it was coming from this passage. I remember I was sitting in my youth room with him, and, and we were working this issue out because he did everything right. And his wife, if you talk biblical reasons for divorce, had them in spades, right? And I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about biblical reasons for divorce, but, you know, Jesus lays out a couple about uh, marital unfaithfulness. Paul deals with some dealing with spiritual abandonment where, the, uh, you know, an unbelieving spouse leaves you, um, right? There's, there's some issues, there's some reasons for divorce that are biblically listed in Scripture. And she had at least one of those in her hand. He was so distraught, and, and, and I read this passage, and I want to tell you what I told him, and I think it's the right understanding for this passage, right? And this is my parents, right? My parents were both previously married, so, so like I speak from the child of someone who's a product of that, right? Like marriage is a sacred union that God has instituted together, and that sacred union is not broken when you go to a lawyer. It's legally broken, in the eyes of the state of Texas, in the eyes of the federal government, you're no longer married. But that sacred union is not broken by legal stuff. Right? There's no amount of lawyering you can do to break it. How it's broken is when we take someone else to be our spouse and take them in the biblical sense to be our spouse. And when that happens, the whole thing is kind of blown up and uh, that person, my, my, my dear friend, my parents, people who I love, my brother who's remarried right now, right in that moment, adultery takes place. And it's wrong, and it's sin, but it's not forever. Right? Because otherwise, it's totally irreparable. Right? Because what counsel do you give to my friend? No, you should live celibate the rest of your life with your wife. Right? That. Do you, do you give that counsel? Do you give the counsel to say, no, you should divorce her and live celibate the rest of your life? No, because that seems like two wrongs. Right? No, what happens in that moment is wrong. It's sin, even if it wasn't intended to be sin, like I sin sometimes without intending to sin. It's wrong. It, it, it's just a, it is what it is. But there's grace on the back end of that. And so for my friend, who's now, they've got three beautiful kids, and they're happily married, and, and I love that family tremendously. Like, every time they, 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 they go and do marriage together, every time they have a marital moment, right, that's not sin. But it was when everything broke apart, you know, 15 years ago now for them, or whatever it was. Guys, sin is something that we all are accustomed to. It's part of who we are. It's what makes us people and God, God, that he's not like us. And it's why we need a Savior. It's not a sin that can't be repented of. It's not a sin that God won't forgive. God is generous 
and forgiveness and gracious to sinners like me. So if you find yourself today and you've, you've been through this situation or your loved ones are going through this situation, I know right now divorce, like I said, there's not a person in this room who's not personally touched by it. And then when the preacher stands up and says, it's sin, you want to say, yeah, but... Da, da, da. Guys, I, I understand. I, I do. But I want you to know that, that, that sin... Like it separates us from God, but the grace of Jesus Christ brings us back together. And so if you're living today and you're on your second marriage or third marriage or 18th marriage, hopefully not, but if you're on your second or third marriage, that's, guys, I want to tell you something. God's grace is sufficient, and that's okay. I'm the product of that. My parents showed me love, faithfulness, commitment to each other. They're still happily married. They've been married for 40-something years now. Right? I'm lucky to have been the benefit of God's grace on the back end of some, some choices that were made. So if you want to know my opinion on marriage, it's the same as God's. Marriage is a sacred union, not to be entered into lightly, and not to be dissolved by man's hands. But when it's broken, when we experience the back end of this fall of humanity and sin has wrecked everything, when it's broken on the back end, I want you to know God's grace stands firm for you. So if you're walking through that right now, lean on the grace of Jesus Christ. Lean on the love of Jesus Christ. He is forgiving all sin. And He forgives us where we fall short. Some of you today may not have ever recognized this. You may never have thought about this in a serious way. If that's you today, I want you to know God loves you. He cares about you. And you're precious to Him today. Marriage is special, guys. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's honor it. Let's keep it. Let's do the best we can to strengthen it inside of our families and inside of our churches. And when it fails, let's extend the grace of Jesus Christ to those people who are walking through the pain and agony of that relationship falling apart. Let's pray.